Thank you for pressing start on episode 47 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Donut County. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my best friend, playing games that he recommends. He's the biggest fan of Mega Man, flipping phones after smartphones began. I'm talking about the late-night streaming, secret game scheming, everyone say hola to Disco Cola. What is going on? Hey, Bopo. Uh, man, today has been a whole thing. Just a garbage day. Oh. But I am happy to be here with you talking about some great indie games. How are you? I'm doing just fine, my trash king. Those are <laughs> references to our featured game, Donut County. We're reviewing Donut County alongside a very special guest today. It is our first guest. Mr. Jack Rodenberg. Uh, yes, Jack Rodenberg of the Rodenberg Music Experience. We're excited to have him here today. We've talked about having guests for a while, and Jack just really made sense for this episode for a few reasons. Um, one is that he's really involved with music. Another is that he produced the music for our show. Yeah. And we know him personally. It's easy to get him in the studio. So it'll be interesting to get his perspective on Donut County which is a game that's partially known for its music. Yeah. So um, very excited to talk to him later in the episode. He's not here yet. Yeah. So it's not like he's sitting here silently. Right. Just the, like, the secret games are extra secret. Yes, You don't exactly. understand no, how, yeah. how under lock and key this thing is. Jack is not allowed to know <laughs> what our secret games are until the episode comes out. Um, sorry, Jack. Maybe next time. Uh, also, we wanted to share a couple of news items that came out. Uh, one is about um, a game we've talked about on this show before, Revenant Hill. Now, this is the debut game that was announced by the Glory Society, which was formed by a couple of the veterans of um, the Night in the Woods studio. Infinite Fall? Infinite Fall. Yeah. And they recently made an announcement um, about their development of Revenant Hill. And since we have mentioned Revenant Hill on this show before, actually as recently as season four, um, I want to read what they had to say about this game. So um, their announcement says, quote, friends, followers, and fans, making anything complex poses challenges along the way. Games take a while to make and usually require a good team working together. We've been lucky to have one such good team. Unfortunately, recent serious health issues have necessitated two key members stepping away from the project indefinitely. We are a small team and we each wear multiple hats. This is a loss of several hard-to-replace hats in an environment where all hats are needed. Given the realities of schedules, budgets, and the fraught task of reworking the whole project within those parameters, the team has amicably decided to suspend operations. For all intents and purposes, this is the end of the development of Revenant Hill, end quote. So they go on to talk about um, how things happen beyond uh, developers' control sometimes and that they want fans to take care, support each other, and to support uh, workers and developers working on games they love. Um, so 
I don't know. Reactions to that? Thoughts on that? I mean, what a what a big bummer sandwich, you know, like health issues are like the issues themselves tend to be really big killers in the States. Like not so much the actual health issue, but like running into health issues is worse sometimes. So Mm -hmm. that sucks. It sucks. And I know that I like, wasn't the biggest fan of like night in the woods and I was still looking forward to Revenant Hill quite a bit, but uh, I, I really feel for them. And that's, that's just so sad. Yeah, the health issues, I mean, it's such a a tangled mess of complications that can happen just financially with your work, with the team. And when you're working on a project with few people, um, you know, they don't have as big of a safety net as larger developers. And um, I think we sometimes take for granted how these small developers pump out these games and we play them and and we love them and we don't really see that side of things as much as players. And so that was kind of a gut punch to read this. Yeah. Um, especially after like the big sort of announcement they had at, I want to say it was a PlayStation showcase. Yeah, it was a big, de- it was like a, a head, not a headliner, but like a headliner kind of. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was an indie focused showcase yeah. and it was one of the big titles announced. And it was this, it was this moment where it's, Hey, there's a cat that looks like May Borowski from yeah, the Woods. Exactly. And, but it's not May Borowski. It is some of the uh, same team, a lot of new people working on it, brand new developer. And um, even though there's all that excitement and all that talent behind a game, um, things can be fragile sometimes. And so uh, we wish the best for those people that they can land on their feet, continue to do what they love to do, and that uh, hopefully we can hear from them soon, maybe about some positive news. Uh, also, we want to talk about a game we've been anticipating, and it's actually a re-release. It's a, like a definitive version. Uh, we've talked about the game Braid, which came out way back in the day when indie games sort of became a thing. There has been a Braid Anniversary Edition that's been um, in development for a while, mm-hmm. and there was an announcement on formerly Twitter recently that... Braid Anniversary Edition finally has a release date. It is April 30th, 2024. I wanted to ask you, Disco Cola, because I'm not exactly sure. Have you ever played Braid? I have not only not played Braid, but I'm not even familiar with what kind of game it is beyond what I saw in the Nintendo Indie World recently. Okay. Showed up as a brief flash. So that's my first just like visual sighting of Braid. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So Braid was a huge game back in like 2008. It was one of the first big notable indie games. It's one of the three main indie games you see a little sneak peek of if you watch the documentary indie game, the movie. Um, And the creator, Jonathan Blow, made this announcement on formerly Twitter about the upcoming release date. And so it looks like they're going to have lots of developer commentary in the game. There's going to be like 15 hours of commentary, Good Lord. not just from people behind Braid. It's going to be insight from lots of developers in the indie game industry. So I think there will be some really interesting takeaways. There's going to be you know, uh, refreshed visuals and sound and even new content as well. So I'm looking forward to this. I think talking about Braid, when we eventually do review it, will come with a lot of asterisks because Jonathan Blow is an interesting person, okay. to say the least. <laughs> um, there's a lot of history with Braid. 
There's a lot you can observe in some documentary content about this game. It'll be an interesting discussion that won't necessarily be just about talking about the game. So we'll get to that someday. And then um, next, you you had an item for this top of show segment, uh, something that has touched both of our lives recently. <laughs> you want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. Um, some of our some of our friends, a specific egg and Cater Blossom recommended to us uh, a little game called Suica Game, which is actually like all over Twitch. A lot of people are playing it. Um, it's not the kind of game that I usually. <laughs> Play and I, I won't speak for Bopo here, but I imagine it's a similar case for you. Um, but either way, we picked it up on their recommendation. It was very affordable, and um, I've been having a great time with it. Um, so basically, the the way the game works is similar to the game. What was it? 10, 2048 or ten forty eight? Yeah, twenty forty eight. I want to say. Yeah, it's like a matching game, but it also mixes circle physics and tetris so you like drop these uh various sized fruits into a little rectangle um and you try to match two and when you match two they become the the next fruit up the next biggest fruit so you'll match two cherries and those will become uh strawberry and then you match two strawberries and that becomes grapes and match two grapes and that becomes something else uh, all the way up to a watermelon. And when you match two watermelons, I don't know what happens because I've never done it. I've I've yet to do that. I've gotten kind of close once to doing that. I bet you've played more than me at this point. I've only played for about an hour total. Okay. I um, have played much? more than you okay. at you've this point. Okay. You've played several hours, would you say? Yeah. I wouldn't okay. I wouldn't say I've sunk like 10 hours yet, but okay. mul- wow. multiple hours. And your your whole family's getting into it. Yeah. Yeah. My wife loves it too. She's been playing it most nights uh, yeah, after I'll, the kids are in bed. I'll hop on Switch and I'll see your profile is active playing Suica game. And it's actually not you because yeah. you're not home. Yeah, it's, half it's the time wife. it's not me. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but we've been loving it, and you know, as you fill up the rectangle, if you get to the top, this is where Tetris rules come in. If you reach the top, that's game over. Uh, and a lot of the times when I lose, I am making really great matches, and the match explosion physics are throwing fruit out into the top uh, failure line. So, yeah, that's probably my biggest complaint with this game is you can be so careful. You can be so patient with waiting for the fruit to settle and fall. But if you make a match that causes a chain reaction, there's like this momentum thing that happens. And then the velocity will just shoot a fruit upwards. This happened in my second game ever (laughs) where I wasn't even close to the top. I was very early. I had less than a thousand points and I made a match caused a chain reaction, and then an apple flew out of my basket. Yeah. And I don't even know what happened. I yeah. saved a, a video clip. I did the <laughs> like long hold on the capture button, and only after scrubbing through did I realize what happened. Yeah, I just last night I matched a strawberry, and it went all the way to like a pineapple, which is like almost at the end. And yeah. it just like, like how does that threw happen? something all the way up into the sky. But. Yeah, so it is a game that does reward patience because sometimes you really do need to wait for multiple, like maybe 10 or 20 seconds for things to settle because things continue to like shift and roll and move. And so it rewards your patience. But other times you see a movement that's going to happen and you need to drop a fruit into a little crevice before it closes up. Yeah. And that gets stressful too. Yeah. Um, So it's a game that I find addicting. I want to keep chasing the high score, 
but it can also be super frustrating <laughs> about like what luck you're given as far as what fruit it gives you. Uh, and so it is just like a paradox of a game. It is a glorious mess of a game to me. Yeah, but I just wanted to mention it because I think technically it, I think it qualifies as indie, but there's not enough like substance for us to actually right. cover it, but we're both enjoying it. So if I were to have had enough substance to cover it, I'd probably score it somewhere in the eights. Um, okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I wanted to just, just give it a little nod, an honorable yeah. mention. Thank you. Yeah. There definitely are those games that fit in that category of just not being substantial enough. Um, just because there's not enough there to talk about. It's just really, we have covered it here. I don't think I've played enough to give it a score. Um, what the game is might defy scoring for me. I don't know. <laughs> That's if I fair. Could, yeah. You know, I might give it around a six or a seven right yeah. now, but I could fall more in love with it. I don't know. Um, but before we move on, if you're listening to Underplayed right now, thank you. And we love you. Please consider giving us a follow and a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. It takes just a few seconds and goes a long way. And with that, it's time for our secret games. Secret games. Secret Games is our segment where we're each reviewing an indie game we've been playing in secret these past few weeks. We don't discuss what we're playing in advance. I have no idea what Disco Cola is going to review today. He doesn't know what I'm going to review today. We can choose any indie game to play and review for this episode as long as we haven't reviewed it before. Starting with you, Disco Cola, let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 47 of underplayed i know you're playing with that that's jack right there friends singing that song <laughs> i don't know which version will end up in this <laughs> i know but i don't know but all the same that's our that's our future guest jack Rodenberg. it is yes making that music um all the same my secret game today comes from top hat studios and i'm gonna say it's either deets Zeribi or diet Zeribi, and that game is called 2d and top d Oh, I have heard of this, and this is actually on my very long list of secret game ideas. Not I've, anymore. I, not anymore. <laughs> this is in that list, so I can now reduce that list by one. <laughs> Never played it. Um, excited to learn about it, though. Yeah, all the same. I've sent you a trailer, so you can check that out right now while I go on. So, in 2D and Top D, a godlike creature named Aleph begins to create worlds, you know, as godlike creatures do. And along the way, he creates 2D, top D, and glitches. To assist with glitches, he also creates an assistant named 2Do. As Aleph's planned creations near their end, the assistant 2Do begins to feel that they may no longer be needed, and so they steal the semicolon, the item that brings stability to the universe. And once stolen, the different worlds begin to merge into one, and the four guardians of this galaxy turn into corruptions. So it is now up to 2D and Top D to work together with the assistance of a specific glitch to retrieve the semicolon and return the galaxy to harmony. Okay, just looking at this trailer with lots of cute characters, I wouldn't have guessed that there's like these big sort of cosmic beings yeah. <laughs> going on in this story. Yeah, you do get a glimpse of Aleph in there, but uh, that's, okay. that, it's very nebulous. It just is a big face. Yes, I see that. Um, yeah. But as the names hopefully suggest, 
2D is a character from a two-dimensional world where only side-scrolling exists, whereas Top D comes from another two-dimensional world where top-down travel exists. So no no jumping for, for Top D. Um, but how does this work in practice? Well, for most of the game, you are put in a single-screen puzzle room with different blocks, pits, and other obstacles with a portal that both 2D and Top D must enter to proceed to the next level. So you must then decipher how to switch between a side-scrolling perspective and a top-down perspective to solve your way to the portal. So for an example, here are some things that you might like have to do. You might have the portal in the top left corner of the screen, and Top D may be able to just simply walk to the portal with no issue at all. From 2D's perspective, he can basically just like walk on walls. However, 2D might not be able to jump quite high enough to reach the platform where the where the portal is. So Top D may have to lift some boxes and drop them in place, and that is essentially creating a new platform for 2D to jump on. Or 2D may be able to easily traverse the level, but Top D is blocked by holes in the background of the side-scrolling perspective. So you may have to push various types of blocks into voids in the background to create a path that Top D can then walk upon. And these basic rules receive variations on them with different types of blocks, such as uh, portal blocks or blocks that move with gravity, um, as well as new mechanics like other sentient characters that will maybe home in on you. There's lasers, there's fire cannons, there's lightning clouds, and and adjusting like levels of water uh, in a pool. So there's a lot of variations that come up as you progress through the game. Challenges mount and confusion compounds <laughs> as you puzzle your way through five worlds to ultimately confront to do and recover the semicolon. 2D and Top D is a game I've seen across just dozens of sales over the last two plus years since we started Underplayed, and it's piqued my interest nearly every time I've scrolled past it. So in my head, I've actually built up a decent amount of hype for this game. Unlike most games that I've played before doing any research, like I, I did very little research on this game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was pretty clear to me from the title alone uh, that this would have some sort of puzzling elements. Sure. And puzzle games aren't always my favorite. So to still have hype around it, I think that says something about at least the visual presentation at the very least. Sure. Yeah. But does 2D and Top D live up to the hype I built around it? Almost. Um, I think the main draw and appeal is the mixing of the two different gameplay styles into one. And I think the game does something really impressive here. I feel like the whole game must have been born from someone who realized, like, I love these two types of games and pondered on why top-down and side-scrolling subgenres were so different and then pondered how you might be able to mix the two mm-hmm. in a in a gaming experience and also realized that a puzzle game was the way to go uh, and it just works. It just does. It's like the one thing that really, really works in both subgenres is puzzles. And the developers, I think, worked around that and uh, successfully. The other big draw for me was the character designs. Even with just minimal research, you see 2D and Top D on the thumbnail for the game. This alone does a lot of heavy lifting. The game is called 2D and Top D, and it takes those character names and makes sure that the characters themselves are front and center. 
And then on top of that, 2D and Top D look entirely unique from each other, in my opinion. 2D is sort of a bit of an alien creature, mostly but not quite humanoid. He has blue skin and an odd anatomy. He sort of reminds me of like playing as Cosmo from Cosmo's mm, Cosmic Adventure. Yeah, good comparison. Um, it's an old, old, old PC game. Uh, and then Top D is a bit more humanoid shape, but in in sort of like a spacesuit or some sort of science fictiony type attire. It kind of reminds me of whatever Dig Dug character is wearing in Dig Dug. Um, <laughs> like and the I th- classic arcade game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this wide spectrum of character design sets the two apart and helps in practice to remember what actions you're actually supposed to be performing while you're playing the game. This love of character design extends into the boss designs and how their designs are simultaneously unique as well as match the mechanics of switching back and forth between top-down and side-scrolling. I think there's a lot of care and attention that goes into making something that will work in both perspectives. Uh, There's another thing that I really appreciate about the game, and it's a little thing, but it makes a huge difference. Top D's puzzling mechanics require a bit more precision, and so when you're in the top-down perspective... There's a bit of a light grid system on the screen, allowing you to be more precise with your block placements, or maybe you can use that grid system to measure certain walking or jumping distances that 2D might have ahead of him. You do lose a little bit here, though, because the angle of the top-down perspective isn't dead on, so it can be hard to calculate at times, even with the grid system. Yeah, so when this camera swings back... You might have thought you had things lined up, but because of that perspective shift, you might be off like one or two squares. Yep, yeah. yep. and that did that did happen to me quite a bit, but it, it still helps quite a bit. Um, this game also has like a built-in challenge mode. In each level, there is a blue and a red ladybug that you can collect. If you get top D and 2D to the portal in under a certain set amount of time for oh. each level, you collect that level's red ladybug. And then if you can solve the puzzle under a certain set number of perspective changes, you will collect that level's blue ladybug. I'm sure you love that (laughs) as a completionist. I do and I don't. Um, By putting these in the level without activating or unlocking a time challenge mode or something, this is encouraging me to approach levels in new ways that I might not necessarily be considering and helping me realize that there might be multiple solutions to a puzzle. That is nice that you could theoretically go into a level and get full completion or partial completion without having to explore that new mode. Because right. so many other puzzle games would do it that way. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it saves a lot of time for completionists by by having that in the level the first time. And if you're just good at that level, then you don't ever have to go back if you don't want to. Did you ever get surprised with like getting one of those ladybugs? Uh, yeah, a couple of times. You're like, yeah. wow, I did it in under the time. Like it looks more complicated than it was, or I... I was just really good at this level. Right, yeah. right. Or sometimes like I, I would be perspective shifting a lot and I'd be like, oh, I'm not getting the blue one this time. And sure. then I get to the end. I'm like, oh, oh, I got did the, get it. I got the blue one. Got it. Okay. Nice. Nailed it. Um, But yeah, that blue one specifically helps me like if I notice that it's flying away when I am sure I have the puzzle figured out, mm-hmm. if I notice it flying away, I'm like, there's a better way to do this. And okay. so it has me um, reevaluate. Uh, I think the dialogue in this game is reasonably funny. Each character, including the Corruptions slash Guardians, has a unique personality. 2D is abrasive, impatient, and unamused, whereas Top D is down-to-earth and deadpan. 
They're like the Bert and Ernie duo, which is usually <laughs> one of my favorite character dynamics in the adventure scenario. All that being said, there are a few things that I didn't totally jive with here in 2D and Top D. And I'm sort of like reminiscing on uh, our episodes for Into the Breach and Narita Boy. Um, so shout out to Underplayed and our library of 40 plus episodes to date. <laughs> you can check those out. So first off, like Narita Boy, the game implies, uses, and is sort of built around the knowledge and language of programming. And this is made evident right away in multiple facets. The glitch character's animation shows like a scrolling animation of just like written out programming language. Like that is what his skin is. Okay. Um, but perhaps more importantly, the whole game is focused on finding the semicolon. Like, why is the semicolon important? I'm not a programmer. I don't know. It's like kind of important in literature, but it's not like it's a comma or something. So this kind of makes me feel like I'm listening to an inside joke that I should understand. You don't quite get but it. But I don't. And I've, yeah. it's the joke's been going on for so long, I can't <laughs> ask what it means. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so, That's the worst. Have you actually had that in real life oh, before? Oh, God. All the time. It's the worst. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Um, so it's nowhere near as heavy-handed and prevalent as Narita Boy. I still am just like solving puzzles. And this is the kind of game where I could mostly ignore the plot if I wanted to. Um, another thing that becomes a pretty big pain point for me would be switching from 2D to Top D, most specifically when I'm right next to a box that Top D is able to pick up. Whenever Top D is carrying some sort of box and you switch perspectives back to the side-scrolling perspective, he automatically drops the box. And this is meant to be like a time-saving mechanic so that 2D might be able to more easily just jump on top of this block after a quick switch um, however, when you switch right back to the top-down perspective, if you're still right next to that box, he'll automatically pick it up. Oh. And this seems like a small thing, yeah. but it can really just, like, slow you down or just, like, ruin your plan. Just, like, ruin things, throw you off. Um, yeah, if only there was, like, a toggle to not pick up the box yeah. when you switched and, back. And I yeah. guess if you just, like, walked one step he wouldn't, away. he wouldn't be adjacent he would, to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So, got it. But okay. It's such a small thing, but it threw me off in like really precarious situations pretty often. Additionally, if you're in a situation where you have to switch perspectives while 2D is airborne, it can kind of be like stupid hard to remember your directional momentum that you needed before you actually changed your perspective. So like when you're switching back mid-jump, you're in danger no matter what, unless you're like right above a box. Um, and I think that's where the two-player option might be more enjoyable uh, as, as an overall way to play the game. But yeah, died a lot of times to that as well. All of that just kind of culminates in my biggest complaint about the game, and that is that the game gets, it gets too hard for me. Like, it's, it's not rare at all for me to start to get stumped in puzzle games. And unlike other puzzle games I've played in recent seasons, this game did get more difficult at a much more gradual pace instead of like a surprising and shocking spike in difficulty. Like not as much as like Baba is you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This was much more gradual and that, that difficulty curve occurred much sooner than I anticipated. It was about halfway through world three of five. So about halfway through the game. But uh, once I did get there, I was getting stumped pretty regularly and I did end up consulting the very rare 
guide for solutions to many of the puzzles. There's only so many guides online for this game. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are people that also are getting stumped and not able to figure out the same puzzles. Mm, So Interesting. That's kind of like what I had with Bonfire Peaks just a few episodes ago. Like there are the PS5 game help solutions, but then like online, if you're just looking online in your browser, there's not going to be a ton of guides out there. Yeah. Yeah. But whenever I play puzzle games, I I expect to get to this point. Um, But what makes this sting more is that Sometimes you've found a solution, and because of the platforming nature of the game, many puzzles will also ask for a platforming challenge in addition to solving the bigger puzzle. So normally when you play a game like this, there's no like downside to waiting and observing um, and testing solutions in this game. But uh, in this game, if you don't jump at the right time too, that's a death. Like mm-hmm. Celeste though, it does put you back in the action pretty quickly, so you're not losing too much time on the respawn. Um, but, however, some of these puzzles, especially toward the end, they have, like, several steps. And if you yeah. if you die in one of the last two steps, you're starting that whole puzzle over. And then it's like, I'm playing a puzzle game and a precision platformer yes. at the same time. Yes. And that those are two very different personalities of yeah, games to play. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me feel like, maybe I don't have the solution, but then you just like run things over in your head over and over. And I'm like, I don't have enough boxes for a different solution. So it just, sure. it, it stings a bit. But uh, luckily, and you can consider this a late addition to my likes problem. Also like Celeste, it has loads of approachability options. This game knows that it gets hard and it wants you to see it to the end. You can add infinite jumps for 2D or have infinite health. So nearly nothing in this game is insurmountable. Um, there's one other surprise in this game that I actually really loved, but to mention it would be a spoiler, so I will save it for the season finale. Oh! And what I will say for the time being is that the final gameplay parts of World 5 were actually some of my favorite in the game. So we're talking about, like, the end of the game here. Okay. Overall, 2D and Top D does pretty much everything right in practice. Certain controls can be a little overly sensitive at times and cause more trouble than it helps. Um, but failure only costs a few seconds in most cases. And ultimately, I can't think of a better way to marry the top-down and side-scrolling subgenres any better than this. While some puzzles were too frustrating to think of outside of my PlayStations, I did at times meditate on some that were stumping me, and much of the meditation uh, ended up with mixed results. But uh, I I would normally have regrets about playing such a difficult game on my main profile, but the the approachability options are a lifesaver. I do think you would like this game, Bopo, but I also think that you would hit some walls as well. So I do recommend it to you, but there are also better puzzle games that I've recommended to you in the past. So for me, 2D and Top D gets a 7.0 out of 10. 7 out of 10 for 2D and Top D. One game this immediately reminded me of is Ibn Ob. Have you played Ibn Ob? I've never heard of Ibn Ob. Look up IBB and OBB. This is a puzzle game with two characters. One's a little blobby green guy. One's a slightly larger blobby pink guy. And this is where you're in a world that's uh, divided by a line and one of them has a gravity and the other one has an inverse of that gravity. And so they're working together, but they can't quite do the same things as each other. I dug Ibanob when I played it like, I don't know how long ago it was. It would have been 
probably 10 years ago. And so I'm glad that Tutti and Topti is kind of also exploring this idea of like two characters who have complementary ways of helping each other. Um, who do you prefer, Tutti or Topti? Um, I actually, just because the Topti has so much precision in it, um, but also has the more overly sensitive controls, I tend to prefer 2D in terms of like playing as I do think Topti is the more likable character but um yeah 2d seemed like the style that gels with like what you typically seek in these kinds of games yeah yeah okay cool yeah i don't think i have any other questions it it's uh yet another puzzle game in our season (laughs) our season i'm going to many puzzle games i'm gonna let you know our season's gonna have lots of puzzle games because i have more puzzle games in my secret games coming up like i do too plural yeah puzzle games i do too this I've is, already finished a couple of this them. This is the season of the puzzle yeah. games. And today, you could argue Donut County is It has it, some puzzle. It is. I mean, it's hard to categorize it, but one of the genres attached to it is usually puzzle. Yeah. So, where can you play 2D and Topti? You can play 2D and Topti on Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, Windows, PlayStation 4, that's where I played it, and PlayStation 5. It is time for my secret game. My secret game is also... 2D a- and Topti. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my game, and I've played it off like you didn't this whole I've time. I've done it. My secret game, though, you could argue, is a puzzle game, actually. Surprise, surprise, in our puzzle-themed season. <laughs> my secret game is Hypnospace Outlaw. What? What a name. And I just sent you the trailer, which you can watch while I go on. So Hypnospace Outlaw was first released in 2019, and it's a simulation puzzle game. It was developed by Tendershoot, and it was published by No More Robots for the original version. It was later ported to some consoles, and uh, Ratalika Games was the publisher for that. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, Greetings, Enforcer, and thank you for enlisting in the Hypnospace Patrol Department. As the world falls into its slumber, Hypnospace becomes a bustling global village. These virtual streets aren't going to police themselves, end quote. So Hypnospace Outlaw is a game that takes place entirely within a computer screen interface. And it's set in the year 1999, right before the Y2K scare. And there is this technology called Hypnospace, and it was developed by a company called MerchantSoft. And the idea is that people can wear headsets while they sleep that connect them to Hypnospace, which is this intranet of websites that keep people entertained and connected in online communities called Zones. And you play as a moderator in this whole online space called an enforcer, and your job is to patrol all these zones and report illicit content. So you report bloggers who bully and harass people. Uh, You report pages that display unauthorized images for copyright infringement. Um, There is an officially sanctioned currency in hypnospace called HypnoCoin, but there are alternative payment systems. And so you can report those for um, extra legal commerce. And then you can also report malicious software. And you're doing all of this in a world that is 
reimagining the feeling of late 90s internet culture. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of like compressed hella compressed images, you know, (laughs) rotating GIFs, sparklies. (laughs) I think there was probably even like a page view counter at the bottom of one of them. Yes, a lot of rudimentary like bad HTML is going on in this game. And um, you're using a web browser called Hypnospace Explorer. So it's a lot like Internet Explorer. And you're navigating tons of web pages. You're clicking on things. You're typing things out as if you're using a computer. Um, You can search for keywords that link you to certain pages. Um, You can bookmark things to return to later. And because this game is entirely about looking at a computer screen, you also have a desktop. You have apps. You download files. You listen to music files. Um, There's an email system. And there's a thing called an enforcer dashboard. And this is where you're receiving reports of objectionable activity. It's usually giving you this report that activity has been um, cited somewhere. Uh, usually like within a zone, but it's only giving you the first breadcrumb. And then you kind of go on this trail of clues to find that offending content, that actual web page where someone is doing copyright infringement or harassing somebody. And so you're using clues and passwords and keywords to eventually find this spot where this illicit activity is happening and you're flagging it. And it's immediately removed in the hypnospace and you are paid in HypnoCoin, which you can then use to buy a number of apps and services on HypnoSpace. And you're also following the story of the designers of HypnoSpace. There's a character named Dylan Merchant um, who co-founded Merchant Soft. Mm-hmm. And this is like a very um, Zuckerbergian co-founder. <laughs> uh, and he has a lot to do with the story. So you run into him more and more. But then you also have like all these side characters, all these users of Hypnospace whose names you run into a lot. And so this game has a very similar concept to a secret game I had way back in season two called Replica. Um, If you remember Replica, that was the game where it's entirely on a phone screen. Here's a game that is set... Uh, even more in the past than that game, and it's on a computer screen, and yeah. you're mostly like browsing the web. First, first thing I thought of. Yeah. Yes, um, I would also say that this game feels a little bit like Return of the Oberdin in the way that you gather clues and interpret clues, as well as Papers Please and Outer Wilds. Oh. So, like, it's kind of that vibe where you're solving puzzles, but a lot of it has to do with collecting information and interpreting clues. Uh, So you kind of feel like a detective in addition to an enforcer. And so the goal is to find and report all this bad content and to discover the secrets behind Hypnospace. And here's what I liked about Hypnospace Outlaw. Hypnospace Outlaw has writing and world building that is rendered in a really immersive way. This game is taking place across multiple days. So Um, Even though this game is set in 1999, it's not set all within the same day. You actually jump forward a few times. And so you get to see certain characters show up again and and again. You might report certain characters for suspicious activity, and then you see how they react to that. Maybe they're remorseful, Mm. or maybe they keep doing it, and you have to keep reporting them. And so you're getting a little bit more of each person's story, every single app and web page and Uh, Email and case file is written with 
really great shorthand that tells you everything about a situation. Uh, there are many ridiculous people in this game. Uh, <laughs> Hypnospace just like attracts a bunch of weirdos and they're still all kind of believable. Um, you notice certain behaviors that just make you chuckle. Like someone will set up a page and they'll forget to enter in a description for the page. So when you see the name of a page underneath that, it'll say like insert page description here because they <laughs> forgot to write the bio for their page. Um, there's that ugly HTML design. There is uh, there's a lot of this effect that I've heard of in the design world called chromostereopsis, where there's like two colors that create kind of a visual buzz when placed next to each other that yeah. kind of like hurt your eyes. And you can just tell some people don't have that eye for design in this game because of the way <laughs> they've set up their their pages. And um, Hypnospace Outlaw is capturing so much about what made the internet such a weird wild west in the early <laughs> days. Like you can find and report malware but you can also accidentally install the malware and then you have to fix it on your own device. <laughs> and Jeez. the malware is very cursed in this game. It like throws a bunch of glitchy artifacts all over your screen. Your screen will sometimes shake. Um, there is an app called Professor Helper. And once that's on your system, there's this little avatar of Professor Helper. He'll pop up like every 15 seconds to ask you if you oh, need his help. No. And then you might say no. And then he's back again. He's like, Professor Helper here. <laughs> and uh, there, there's a way to get rid of Professor Helper. But even when you remove Professor Helper, you're told Professor Helper has been mostly removed from your system. And so then it's like, <laughs> oh, no, please don't show back up. Um, and you can take care of like a digital pet that poops on your desktop and then you have to drag the poop to your recycle bin and you have to feed it a certain kind of file type. There's just a lot of weird activities like that that people were really into back in the day. That's a Digimon. You're talking about a Digimon. It basically is a Digimon, but uh, <laughs> way less cool. And in a way, it sort of tells a prophecy of how people would come to use the internet in the coming decades. You know, there are instant messaging rooms that get really uncomfortable. There are certain zones like Teentopia that are portraying how young people were using the internet. Um, and there's others like Good Time Valley that are geared toward like the conservative olds. So you see like all these different communities and like demographics portrayed as well. Uh, the story has great surprises. And the last chapter is actually not the last chapter. There's actually a really cool epilogue that truly wraps up the story. And this is where I'm going to say this game has a surprise that I loved that I will probably mention in our hey, season finale, hey, wow. but I'm not going to expound here. Uh, the interface is kind of like overwhelming at first, but you are given some handy tools to navigate. You have a search history. Uh, you can bookmark pages, so you can revisit things pretty easily later. And then the satisfaction of being a detective in Hypnospace Outlaw and putting together clues feels really nice. It feels like there are secrets abound that you could maybe accidentally click on something and discover a hidden web page. Um, it feels like there are tons of optional cases that you don't need to explore to finish the main story. So I feel like not everyone will have the same journey in this game, and that's pretty interesting. There are way less dislikes I had for this game than likes, um, but chief among them is just that in Hypnospace Outlaw, I don't like being here for a terribly long time <laughs> in this place. This place is pretty cursed. Yeah. 
Uh, it can be a lot of reading too. And that's just not always something I'm in the mood for. And I, th- I feel like you're the same way. Yeah. Right. For sure. Um, and then there's like this disembodied characterization of people. You're reading about people's thoughts. Sometimes you're reading their blogs or their emails. You're getting to know them, but you just can tell in real life you would hate this person. <laughs> and there's that. And I think that's a testament to the effect of writing. Again, I think the writing is really strong at portraying these characterizations. Um, but these people make me feel icky in a way that's different than other games. And I can't like see them, but I'm sort of projecting stuff onto them too. Mm-hmm. And so it's just sort of a vibe I don't love being in for, you know, eight to 10 hours. You know, this game is pretty long. Okay. Um, I think some people could get this game done in like six to eight hours. It took me a little bit longer than average, I feel. Um, and then the activity of searching web pages isn't always my favorite thing to do naturally. This is going to be different person to person. Um, I don't have a strong nostalgia for the early days of the internet. Um, I used it, you know, I was using it back in the 90s, but (laughs) I don't find it particularly endearing. And it feels like one of the reasons this game was made was to appeal to that fondness that some people have. Um, And then sometimes if you can't connect a clue, it's hard to know where to look. Um, I was puzzled about where to go um, at a few moments and got a little frustrated with like just some of those breadcrumbs being a little vague. So overall, Hypnospace Outlaw is incredibly written. It's very immersive. It's a simulation of an internet hellscape. And how many games can say that? Um, It waves a surprising yarn. Uh, It's also a world I kind of grew tired of. But if you love bizarre experiences and you have a particular fondness for or interest in 90s internet culture, I think there's a lot to discover here. So I'm going to rate this a 7 out of 10. And it's playable on PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, which is where I played it, and Xbox One. Excellent. One of the games that I immediately thought of when I pulled up the trailer was actually a game that we talked about in a recent episode of No Small Games, and uh, that is Smile for Me. Yes. It's played totally differently, kind of, but, but also personal- not. But personality-wise, you would say it's also a match? Yeah, it feels like a similar vibe. You're you're using breadcrumbs to figure out uh, what to report, what people need. Yes. Um, again, I think I said it in that episode. I'm going to say it again. I recommend that to you, Bopo. Okay. But yeah, uh, I guess I don't have too many questions. Even like late 90s internet is still like a pretty vast space. Mm. Like you could spend hours a day on the internet and still not even come close to seeing everything, even in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. You mentioned being a little bit overwhelmed. I feel like I would be overwhelmed at just the idea. Is that, are there a lot of like guardrails in place to, to keep you from getting too far off the beaten path? I would say so, especially when you're on the enforcer dashboard and you get a report of activity. The reports never tell you exactly where to go. They give you that first breadcrumb. And usually it is, there's suspicious activity of of malicious software happening in Teentopia. You know, I'm just making up an example. Then that narrows down which zone you go to. So there might be like 10 zones. And so I'm going to Teentopia and maybe I got another clue like, there was someone attached to uh, the suspicious activity who actually wasn't doing it themselves. And so I might look for that person's page. 
And then they might give me a clue about someone they were talking to. And then I might search that person's name in my search bar. And so it is just going to point A, getting a clue to get to point B and so on. Um, I'd say there are good guardrails, but again, sometimes those clues uh, led me to a place where either I just couldn't find the next breadcrumb right away or exactly which breadcrumb I was supposed to look for. That was the question. Um, but at the same time, it does feel like this place has hundreds of web pages. There's actually an achievement slash trophy called Thanked, and it is where you archive every single page in Hypnospace, but you don't have the ability to archive pages until the very end of the game because of a story reason. And so this requires you to revisit hundreds of pages. Oh, good and Lord. I'm kind of intimidated by this trophy, but it kind of just goes to show, yes, there are tons of pages you can visit and, oh, and websites and things. Yes. Yeah, so okay. the, game, the game is huge. Compared to Replica that I played back in season two, yeah. this game is so much bigger. Yeah, Replica was bigger. like, what, two, three hours? Yes. And Replica had like tons of endings. That yeah. was the replayability. And that was like the main length of the game is, can I find different outcomes but I'm still using kind of the same apps. I'm interacting with the same people. Here, it's just more. Gotcha. And then you talked about like reading pages and getting you know a clue into who these people are. Do you get a clue into who you are, or are you like a true voiceless protagonist where you are just actively pointing and clicking and reporting? There's no like exchange of of dialogue. So I think the game makes a very clear stance that you are basically playing as yourself. And one of the freakiest moments in this game was when I started it up and there's like a little robotic voice in Hypnospace that will give you alerts. It'll say like, you have a new message on your enforcer dashboard or new case report to read. You have a new email. And um, this voice said, welcome Bopo to Hypnospace. So it read How? my username and it like knew to read my name Scary. to me. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I want to hear it. <laughs> it knew, it, it's like, hello, welcome, Bobo. Like that's pretty close to what it sounds Oof. like. And uh, it basically read my name on PlayStation Network and it knew to pronounce it. I'm sure for like really complicated names, yeah. if you had just a bunch of letters and numbers, it would just like say them in a row, yeah. but it will say your name to you. Ooh. And so it is really you being in this simulation. Um, cool. So yeah, you don't get a ton of backstory that I understood. It is mostly understanding these people using Hypnospace and then like the co-founders of Hypnospace, what's going on with them. And I, I like that story approach in this particular case because it is really like a simulation experience. Awesome. Well, I put it on my GG app list of games that I want to play thanks to Bopo. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. But cool. that, that was before you said there are over 100 pages to archive at I, the end. I still think you would find this fascinating, even though there's a lot to like read and stuff. It's not a huge like novel that you're reading right. like some other games. Yeah. There, I think there's just something so disturbing about like compressed visuals like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so down to be disturbed by visuals yeah. in the last like seven years. I'd say like this game feels like a detective game. Like you're using clues to find bad people doing bad things. It's just like, how do I use my clues to get there? Cool. And so I, I had fun with it. It was it was very interesting, very unique compared to other games I've played for this show. Um, so those are our secret games, 2D and Top D and Hypnospace Outlaw. 
let's move on to our review of Donut County. It is our featured game. Donut County is a puzzle narrative game first released in 2018. It was developed by Ben Esposito and it was published by Annapurna Interactive. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, Donut County is a story-based physics puzzle game where you play as an ever-growing hole in the ground. Meet cute characters, steal their trash, and throw them in a hole, end quote. <laughs> um, joining us for our review today, we have a special guest. Making songs is what he does best. He's going to help us say more. And you've heard him before. He has the best rhymes and funky plant times. It's the experience producing, Flora seducing, composing music for our show, Jack Rodenberg. Hello. How are you doing? Bo Po. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on and for that wonderful intro. That was very in line with my spirit. So <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite intro ever, I think. Oh, master, awesome. master of verse this week. Yes, so. I, I wanted to do one. Thing to impress the great Jack Rowe. <laughs> <today. laughs> Thanks, um, Bo. I know that you and Disco have been coordinating with getting you on here. Mm-hmm. So, Disco, thank you for talking to Jack. And, Jack, thank you for being here. Um, yeah, Jack Rodenberg created our music for our show, which we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always just sing it. When- Secret game. I know you're playing with that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. We like swap through each one, yes. each episode. It's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you did because I, I did the bass take without the vocals, and I was like, I just feel like it needs some cheesy R and B. Yes, sing along type of thing. Right, so. and that fits the personality of indie games sometimes. Yeah, like indie games are kind of, they kind of go off the rails a little yeah. bit. And so we use all three versions of that Secret Games music. We just, on a rotation. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Uh, but Jack, since you're our first guest ever, and we've never heard you on the show before other than your music, can you just like tell us about yourself and uh, some of the work you create for people to enjoy? Well, yeah, sure, Bopo. Um, I'm... A musician um, at heart. So for the last five or six years, I've been a professional musician teaching lessons, um, writing my own songs, playing a lot of other bands. Recently, I've been doing a lot of funky plant time stuff, which you mentioned in the um, intro, kind of writing theme songs for plants in a funny educational way, kind of going for like a Bill Nye um, type of vibe, maybe Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter gets thrown in there a little bit, but really just trying to like highlight how awesome plants are in the around town. And, um, and that's been a lot of fun. That's been a good musical outlet. And, but right now I'm going to grad school for biology. Um, so I'm a little busy, uh, a little less time for, for music these days, but I've never been learning more about plants and nature and animals and stuff. So, so, so is this biology degree like focused more on plant life? It, I'm still trying to figure it out, but there's one aspect of nature that I found super fascinating, which is synchrony or like synchronicity, it's when multiple systems behave the same at once. Mm, And it reminds me a lot of music. And so I just think it's really cool. Like uh, crickets are a great example. I was going to say something like crickets Uh, or like locusts or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those are two really cool examples. Uh, Crickets, yeah, they will will synchronize their chirps. um, And it's called competitive cooperation because they're all searching for a mate. And rather than try to like be faster or, or, you know, come up with a new rhythm that competes with the other crickets, they'll actually synchronize their chirps 
so that their signal collectively will travel farther mm. and they'll all benefit slightly from from the increased range of their mating calls. So crickets are communists. They're cool. <laughs> Got it. Exactly. <laughs> I love the connections you're drawing between nature and music. I've never heard uh, that drawn. Like if you gave me that challenge of find the connection, I don't think I could do it, but that's well, fascinating. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I, it's it's like a when when I think of what makes us uniquely human, there's a couple of things that come up consistently and like you know, really specific language comes up where you can tell long stories and um, recite poetry and stuff. But we don't really know that other species don't have that. Like mm. whales and dolphins, they have these hugely vast vocabularies and we're just beginning to understand them. Um, and then music is one thing I think of too. It's like to to be able to lead a band and, you know, count off one, two, three, four, and everyone starts at the same time. That's like truly human. Um, but I'm finding as I study synchrony more and more that it's actually pretty common in nature too. So Awesome. I have enjoyed funky plant time a lot oh, uh, personally. Um, and can you tell people how to find your fun content? I appreciate that a lot. Uh, yeah, it's funky plant time with underscores between the words. So funky underscore plant underscore time. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Um, Facebook scares me. It's just, I feel like it's just my mom there. So, uh, and I love my mom. But. I've, I've watched some of the ones on Facebook. Nice. I, am, I am what we call around here an old. Okay. Yeah, well, that's so. good. It's your mom and disco cold. There so, we go. She's not alone. Thankfully. That's good. I'm glad I'm finding an audience there. Yeah. Cool. And we will probably put links in our show notes to your stuff. So if people are curious, they can easily find your socials. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And now we'll talk a little bit about uh, Donut County. And this is a game about different species, like uh, living Te together. Yeah, technically, so yes. It kind yeah. of <laughs> relates to the biology stuff we were just talking about. But um, Donut County is a game that takes place in Donut County. And this is an alternate version of Los Angeles. Um, there are lots of residents of various species. Um, we focus a lot on Mira, who's a human girl. Mm -hmm. um, we focus on BK, who's a raccoon. Mm -hmm. And they're basically best friends, but Mira also kind of works for BK. Um, they work for a donut delivery service. Mm -hmm. But that's actually a business that swallows up people in their homes <laughs> and they fall into the ground, um, which is a weird idea to wrap your mind around. But um, many citizens in Donut County become hungry. They're very busy people and they end up ordering donuts on this app. And in return, they're becoming displaced and they're trapped together 999 feet under the surface. <laughs> and uh, BK is using an app to open holes all over town. And he's really persistent about using the app because there's sort of this point system where if he helps deliver, quote unquote, donuts to people enough, <laughs> he will get to rank 10 and he'll earn a quadcopter. And there are other raccoons in addition to BK. And there's sort of this conspiracy with them and the donut business that they bought when they moved to town. Mm -hmm. And then eventually BK himself and Mira fall into the hole. And then BK sort of must answer for his actions. Mm -hmm. He's surrounded by everyone who's trapped. They're all talking about their stories of what they were doing before they got swallowed by a hole. Mm -hmm. And then the story is sort of jumping back and forth between people getting swallowed up and the aftermath below the surface. And so we're seeing people talk about their stories. Then we jump to that moment that they were just talking about, and then we play as the whole, and we swallow them up. We swallow up their their homes and their objects, and our hole is getting bigger and bigger, and we're eventually swallowing buildings. 
and uh, big pieces of land. And so uh, we're just hopping back and forth between citizens telling their stories of being trapped. Mm -hmm. And the gameplay is involving moving those holes around in the ground Mm -hmm. to swallow things. And the more you swallow things, the bigger your hole gets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each level is introducing new mechanics, too, with how to play with our holes, Mm -hmm. which don't take that (laughs) quote out of context. (laughs) Come on. Uh, (laughs) And uh, there's also, like, fun little details, like there's a Trashopedia, which displays all the items we've swallowed in the holes. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to revisit chapters in the game, too. But it's a very enigmatic different game. It's a game that Disco Cola and I have played a lot in the past. Really? Disco Cola, how many times have you played through Donut County? To be honest, actually only like three and maybe okay. this is the fourth one. This is the fourth? Yeah. This is probably my fourth or fifth time hmm. playing. Yeah. So we are, there are probably, you know, many months or years between those mm-hmm. playthroughs. Um, but the game first came out in 2018. So we've kind of played it consistently like every year or two since it came out. And um, Jack, I think this was a new game for you. Yes. And I was just curious, um, aside from just this game, I wanted you to tell us about your history with games in general, just so we can gauge where you're seeing this game from. Well, I'm honored to be on this podcast because I would say that my history with games has been kind of playing the overplayed games. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I've played growing up. I loved playing, um, you know, online games like Halo or Call of Duty with my friends and, um, eventually fell in love with, with Skyrim and Borderlands and Bioshock and, um, we, we love a Bioshock. Yeah. Nice. So. And I love a Skyrim and, yeah. and a Borderlands <laughs> myself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Let's see. Oh yeah, I loved I loved the Batman games. Um oh, the yeah. Arkham games were really really good. And also the the new Spider-Man games as well. Um so this has been the first like, you know, smaller budget um underplayed game that that I've played and so I I just I just loved the whole experience. It was it was oh, really awesome. fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's kind of getting into our next question which is what are your thoughts on Donut County? I I thought it was just whimsical and it warmed my heart from from the second one that I started playing it. Um it took me a second to realize that like the mechanics were just the like I was going to be a hole for every level. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was, you do it once and it's like, okay, that was that level. Yeah. But maybe next do... level I'm going to like be a fruit that yeah. jumps yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I, I was moved. Um, particularly my favorite part was the music. The music for each level. And, you know, they do these cut scenes where they, they jump from when, before the hole swallowed everything and, and they're living their life and, then they jump down to 999 feet below and the music becomes eerie and like atmospheric and it's almost more soundscapey. But then when you're back where everyone's on land, it's, it's fun and it's whimsical, but there's something really magical that happens as the hole grows. So you start out as a, as a little tiny hole, like a, a the size of a, a hole on a golf course or something. And you, you're swallowing, you know, carrots or, or little pieces of rock or something and the the music is fun and it's whimsical and you're you're going around and you're swallowing bricks and it's fun but then as as you get bigger like something changes in the music that kind of makes it almost like haunting mm-hmm. and and i just thought that was really powerful and at some points the music would even stop completely as you're swallowing houses and buildings and it's like 
it just was this really cool transition between like, oh, I'm just like a little hole, you know, swallowing yeah. bricks. <laughs> now it's like, I just swallowed this person's house. Yes. And the music brilliantly reflects that type of uh, like, it, it just, this, this gravity um, gets associated with this hole as it, as it grows. And it's like, wow, you're really, you're really messing things up. Yeah. There's a tragedy. You're right. You're displacing people. The hole is swallowing the soundscape, you know, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And yeah, I was actually just replaying it this past week. I was surprised at the, the range between like going 999 feet below and hearing that eeriness and then mm -hmm. going into a new level. And it's, we're in a, a happy person's life, you know, just seeing a colorful scene and then it slowly gets sucked away. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, one of the reasons we asked you on uh, for this particular episode is because uh, Disco Cola in particular loves the the music of Donut County. Like you regard the music in Donut County as like some of the best in indie games, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Daniel Kessner mm -hmm. and, uh, and Ben Esposito uh, work together on the soundtrack. And I just I think it's so awesome. Um, sometimes it will leave my brain and then I'll, I'll accidentally listen to a Donut County song. I'm like, why did I s stop listening to this? And I, I have it like playing on the radio all the time, even when I, I'm not actively there. So it's just like, yeah, I love the music. So because Bopo and I have both played this before and like maybe might not have had as much to say without a guest, I was like, why don't we get somebody who knows more about music? Uh, because I think Donut County's strongest suit is is in the music personally um so i just yeah i'm i'm really excited to have you on for for this and, and talk about the music <laughs> yeah definitely I'm, I'm, it's cool that you you feel the same way because i was just blown away every episode is or level um is just totally different it, like i said this it starts like really cheery and it's it's all driven and there's like this beat behind everything but the tonality shifts in this in the most subtle strange ways where Suddenly, like, I remember there's one episode where the, there's like, there's a lot of ukulele and some of it's kind of lo-fi sounding ukulele. And mm -hmm. then, then there, the bass will come in with the, with these notes that just 10 seconds ago, the bass is doing something else and it sounded very happy. But then the bass starts venturing into like these, these notes that the rest of the stuff is the same. And it just creates this dissonance of like, we are kind of where we used to be. But something has shifted and now it mm. seems a bit more like sad or menacing. Um, and it was just so effective for like the emotional change. And there's this one part that I thought was really cool because everything is um, uh, instrumental. There's no vocals except for this one level where – and it took me a while to realize this, but um, I think it was Coco, the alligator yeah. mm. or the crocodile probably – who's sitting on a lawn chair and enjoying themselves. And the, the music for this level had vocals. It was this kind of droning, like I couldn't understand any of the words, but it was, I, I've, it, it pinged my attention. Cause it was like, Oh, this is the first time vocals have been featured. And then that's when I realized there's an actual radio sitting by Coco. So yeah, Coco is listening. Yeah. yeah. It's diegetic. Right. In the scene. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And then you swallow up that radio and it goes away. It goes away completely. That makes sense. Was, and I yeah. thought that was just such a nice touch. It's like, wow, in the universe, they do have music with vocals. And that's what we got to hear is right. Coco is listening to his favorite song. And then and it's kind of just gibberish because for us, it doesn't really matter what the words are. It's just that Coco was listening to music with words. And now we can take that away. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's cool. It sounds like you're picking apart the soundscape by like parts, like by different um, 
ingredients mm. and you're kind of like noticing things about the baseline in ways that I, I wasn't doing. I never would have noticed it. And even when you mentioned the like silence, like I did notice it, but I didn't like notice it, notice it, you know? And, and when you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, it does do that. And it did, you know, something in my lizard brain went off when that music <laughs> yeah, went away. Cause right. I, cause like, that's my favorite thing. And then all of a sudden it was gone. I was like, oh, that's, that's odd. But yeah, when you mentioned that, I'm like, oh yeah, that is actually a very sinister way to build uh, tension. Yeah, it's it's jarring. Like you're 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 bopping along, and it's getting a, a little bit more tense, and and then when it when it all goes away, you're just it feels like the hole has sucked up something fundamental of about each level, and it's just I just thought it was so cool. Nice. Um, any other general thoughts about Donut County from you, Jack? Uh, I well, I loved the characters. I guess it's my only complaint is that it was it was over too soon. But that that'll happen with games. But um yeah, I I, I love the characters. I wanted to know more about each character. I wanted a bit more of the interpersonal storylines to develop. Um and I thought it was just this like really funny dynamic between Mira and BK, the raccoon, where it was like the whole time we're like, are they friends? Yeah. Like, what kind of friendship is this? They're they're apparently best friends, uh, according to the wiki. So, yeah, they're they're like coworkers that were forced to become best friends and then became best friends. Like they don't they don't really have anybody else, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, but I did love you know I'll try not I won't spoil anything, but I loved I did love seeing um, some character development, especially from BK, like. Yeah, I I don't, I don't want to spoil. Um, yeah, but yeah, I I did like seeing BK kind of having to come to grips with his own, you know, capitalist ventures. Of, <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. such an absurd concept. It's like, how is this not like a huge deal for B? She's like, oh yeah, they were hungry, so I swallowed their house. <laughs> it's like what? And we'll, we'll as you do, yeah, makes as sense. You do. That's a great business. Um, a little bit later, we'll talk about maybe more about what the the holes mean, and Ooh. I think there's a lot of analysis you can do about this game. But it also, I feel, is a game you can just enjoy on the surface level. Yeah, it was very very zen. Like I I would find myself just really calm, just like swallowing these things up, and it, it just put me in like a really nice place mentally to play this game. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like a challenge. You're just kind of like almost passively sitting there just doing it, but mm-hmm. not in a bored way. Not like, in a bored way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um if those are all your thoughts, do you have a score out of 10 for your enjoyment hmm. of Donut County? We usually do like a point point five increments. I would say for me, the music is a ten, okay. Hand, hands down. Nice. Um, and I would say the the length of the game served the mechanics. Like if this was like a thousand hour game, I don't know how long I would you know want to want to be the whole swallowing the same things up if there was no other. Um, but I did love that each level introduced something new, and I loved. The Trashopedia. That, that was so funny. There were so many funny like quips and quirks about the Trashopedia. So, and then I would say like the the general character development, and and I, I would have liked to see more there. So, this is like I said, my first underplayed game. So yeah, it's it's, it's a, hard to like have a yeah. baseline. It's yeah. hard, but I'm gonna give it a eight. And I I think that's Wonderful. what I would have expected. I think that's perfectly reasonable based on how you've spelled things out. Mm. And I am going to put that in our little catalog to keep forever. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's carved in stone now. You can't change it. No, oh, you can change it before the end of the episode. <laughs> After that, though, then it's too late. <laughs> um, and then uh, Disco, let's just go to you next um, for your overall thoughts as someone who has played Donut County several times. Yeah. So as I alluded to, like Donut County is a hard game to review. I was I was kind of worried about this episode, not only because the game is really short, mm-hmm. but because both Bopo and I had played it before. And one of the things that makes this game like really stand out is the dialogue. So the big question for me was, was I going to be able to recapture the magic that I felt the first time through? Mm-hmm. And that's what I was worried about. And I have to say that, uh, no, I didn't I didn't oh. quite recapture that magic okay. that you feel that first time through. Um, it's not like the game stopped being funny. And there are certain quips that I totally like forgot about that totally left my brain um but the comedy's like cadence and depth i think does have diminishing returns um so the replay value that this game has i think really lies more in the gameplay itself rather than the comedy uh which was unfortunately what stood out you know on my Mm -hmm. first playthrough back in in late 2020 all the same whether it's your first time playing or you're coming back to donut county i think there is still a lot to love Mm mm-hmm Dialogue is still a riot, and the characters are hilarious. Mira and BK and Trash King, but especially this time around for me, Salt and Pep really stood out as <laughs> yeah. being really hilarious. Yeah, these, have a few moments. <laughs> these two guys are just so strange. They are the weirdest people on the planet. Yeah, can you explain a little bit more yeah. about their dynamic? So they are, I think they're brothers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, siblings, yeah. Siblings, yeah. and they, they live in this, like, uh, trailer... And they're both really into birds, but they're also having a fight about a bird. And so they're like, (laughs) they're sort of mad at each other, but they're also just like on the same page about birds. Yeah. And like, there's this one bird in particular that, that sort of like set off this fight. Very weird dudes. Don't want to be friends with them in real life, but I love (laughs) reading what they're saying to each other. Um, but yeah, dialogue still still funny, but like I said, diminishing returns for for replay. Um, gameplay is easy to pick up, and it adds puzzles to what would essentially be like this extremely mindless app game style of game without those puzzle elements. So like eating the snake and using the snake's stupid tail to you know push a lever mm. or um, using the the catapult to launch something that adds something more than what would just essentially be a glorified app game. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always love all of the like puzzly things that we do have to do. Um, and they do kind of seem to come and go at odd intervals, even mm-hmm. within the level that they exist in. Um, but it does still add like a, a good variety to the gameplay. Like you said, Jack, the Trashopedia uh, adds a layer of collection. Yes, uh, which you love. I do love. Most levels will not actually let you progress until you absolutely collect everything. Mm-hmm. So it, it feels like there isn't really a significant challenge for collectors, but it is still fun to read what the raccoons think about every single item you collect. Yes. <laughs> for me, it's more of a gag. It's more of like a fun little yeah. area where you get some flavor text. You know, it's not like you're going in there a ton to examine what you missed because you end up getting most things in most levels just by naturally growing your hole. Yeah. There's only just a couple of exceptions, but yeah, it's just, it's just like a sillier Katamari mechanic. So I'm, I'm, I'm into that. 
Yeah, this has been called an inverse Katamari by Ben Esposito before. <laughs> where like Katamari is a game where you're building a ball, you're rolling over things to build a ball that's bigger and oh. bigger and bigger. This you're swallowing things to make a hole that's bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger. Yeah. Huh. Um the scale of your destruction, it gets so absurd, but it fits right in. Um, I'm the kind of person that like wants to nab everything, and the game really encourages that. And it feels so grand when you consume entire buildings or entire cliffs. Um, and I think that's so awesome to just watch. Uh, but as I've said already a dozen times in this episode, my favorite thing about Donut County is easily the music. Mm-hmm. Daniel Kessner and Ben Esposito, uh, just they nailed it. And I, I streamed Donut County this time around when I was playing it. And uh, when it, when one of my favorite songs came up, I would just like, okay, I'm not reading the dialogue. I'm stop. I'm just going to turn up the music for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you, the viewer, mm-hmm. are just you just have to listen for a while. Mm-hmm. Or you can leave. I don't care. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love this album. I, I listen to it all the time, you know, for, for long periods of time at a time. Uh, and I make sure it plays on the radio uh, all the time. It's just, it's such incredible music. Um, I love it. I love it. Listen to it. If you, if you don't want to play the game, just listen to the music. I think our friend Cater Blossom is in that boat where she's listened to the soundtrack a bunch of times, but has never touched Donut County. Yeah. So. And that's totally valid. It's, it's, I back you both up on that. Yeah. Spoilers for my thoughts. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Donut County, it's a pretty straightforward game, but there's only like two things I don't really like about Donut County. Um, and I've kind of mentioned them already. I think the replay value is kind of low. And like Jack said, I just I want a little bit more in the game overall. These characters are silly, and I just want to hang out with them a little mm-hmm. bit more. Definitely. Um, I mentioned that the scale of your destruction as the hole gets larger and larger. But I think there's still more room to grow here, so mm-hmm. to speak. Like, maybe let's get more into city limits and and take out entire city blocks or something, mm-hmm. you know? I think there's just a little bit more room that you could have could have taken it yeah. uh, and and add length to the game while still hanging out with these absurd people uh, that are stuck underground. Mm-hmm. So similar to Doki Doki Literature Club in one of our previous episodes, I was unable to recapture the magic that I felt the first time I played Donut County. But I do remember that I felt really strongly about it the first time. And so this game is still in my top 100. Nice. In fact, it's still pretty close to Doki Doki, actually. Um, but it would be a little bit higher if there was more just meat on the bone. So I think my duty now, instead of playing Donut County a bunch, is to recommend and give other players their first playthrough where I can and get people listening to the great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's my duty now as a as a Donut County fan. So even with diminishing returns, there is still a lot to love about the game. Again, especially in the music, I still give Donut County an 8.5. Nice. 8.5. Nice. Yeah. Nice positive score. I think that's what I would have given it the first time I played Donut County. If I if I went back to that very first time, yeah. that's about where I was too. When Whenever I replay a game for Underplayed, I do have just like this one little section on the Rubik like, do I remember loving this the first time? Yeah. And that yeah. I, I do try to score with that in mind mm-hmm. and, and include that in the average. Sure. I don't have a real rubric, by the way. I don't have like a written rubric. <laughs> yeah, it's our scoring too. It's mostly just like how we feel and our feelings change over time. Our scores are just how we feel in this moment, mm-hmm. knowing that you ask me again in a year and I might think Donut County is a whole point away from where I scored it. You mm-hmm. know, and that's just fine. Um, but 
for my thoughts, you know, this was my around my fourth time playing, and I found it to be just as enjoyable for me now as like some of the first times I played. But I attribute this to just me having a bad memory. I think <laughs> like I remembered all the the story beats and like how the story plays out and how characters talk to each other and all those things. But it is things like the comedy, the jokes, um, the exact order that you do things, every precise mechanic they use to play with the holes. Like some of that stuff I had forgotten. And so it was a joy to re-experience that and be reminded of that. And then it'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. But I sort of let enough time pass that it left my brain a little bit. So I did enjoy this uh, about as much as that first time. And uh, what I like uh, about this game is first, I I just want to mention, you know, just the charm and it's kind of a dry charm in this game. Uh, the way mm-hmm. characters speak to each other in Donut County, it's goofy, um, but it's also sort of nonchalant. I also love BK denying any guilt for what he's done. <laughs> yeah. Um these people sitting around this campfire under the ground, it's almost like they're having a tribunal. <laughs> yeah. but it's like a, for him, but it's also like really f- casual. Yeah, it's really communal. <laughs> they're just like camping out for a minute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like they're all sort of blaming BK, but, you know, they're not getting their, pic- their pitchforks out. Mm-hmm. And he's just oblivious to the severity of his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love that humor. That's like really funny to me that people just point out blatantly what he's done and he's just obsessed about getting his quadcopter, you know? So, (laughs) um, and then I love how, uh, this game isn't afraid to give characters like imperfections. You know, they, they have typos when they text, uh, they Mm -hmm. misspeak and they misunderstand each other. And sometimes they comment on each other's mistakes. Uh, these people, these characters feel like caricatures of, some real people I know too. Mm-hmm. So I liked kind of thinking about who these characters reminded me of. Hmm. Um, controlling the holes feels really good when we're actually doing the gameplay of swallowing things up. I think that central activity is really satisfying. Mm-hmm. I love the feeling of just swallowing something small and then we get a little sound effect and you see the hole just like expand a little bit. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a game I played when I was a kid in my browser. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like a flash game where I was a fish in a pond and I a really tiny fish and I'm surrounded by fish that want to eat me. And I have to find a smaller fish than me to eat so mm. that I can be a little bit bigger. And then I can eat a slightly bigger fish. And eventually I'm the biggest fish and I'm basically eating the whole pond. And I can, I don't care what fish touches me because I'm already the biggest one. Hmm. And that's sort of what's going on here, but there aren't any stakes as far as like, I have to avoid things. There are times where you have to avoid the bird swallowing the the liquid in your oh, hole, yeah. you know, things like that, but nothing is dangerous mm-hmm. in this game. I can just keep playing casually and it feels really good mm-hmm. uh, to control the hole. Um, the physics makes sense for the most part. Um, There are times when your hole feels like just the right size for those objects. And then you slide it under a piece of furniture or a building and that thing will just fall perfectly straight down sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. that's very satisfying. Super nice. It is. It's a nice feeling. And so um, I also like that, you know, they play with so many ideas with the holes. The game is staying fresh with each scene. You've both mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Lots of fun mechanics, and we're switching up what we're doing with the whole. And I didn't think that there could be that much variety in this game. Uh, The setting is colorful and cozy. Um, There are references to 
this kind of alternate California setting. We we talk about the 405. We're in Joshua Tree for a while. It's all these like fun takes on places where people actually live. And I think a lot of that has to do with Ben Esposito, um, the designer of the game, actually moving to Los Angeles and trying to make a game sort of based on what he observed when he moved there. Hmm. And um, the interface is kind of chunky in a really satisfying way, like the texting, the Trashopedia, the pause screen. I like how all that stuff looks like. The presentation is just really clear. Mm -hmm. And then the music, love the music in this game for all the reasons you both mentioned much more eloquently than I can. (laughs) Um, I I don't need to go into it anymore, but yeah, I, I just love the soundtrack here too. And there are some earworms that I actually have had stuck in my head today. I've, I've got one running right now. <laughs> yeah, while you're talking, I'm, I've been thinking of the like bounce, 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 like yeah. the the transition music, like oh, um, just that on a loop. Uh, and then I have like some similar dislikes, just some things that I wish this game had more of, which is length. I mm-hmm. wish this game was longer. I also wish we had some more interpersonal relationship stuff. Like mm-hmm. I just want to know more about. Um, salt and pepper, you know, I just want to see more of their story. I want to see more about what these people's lives were like before they got swallowed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just want more out of these residents. I wish the game was longer. I would, you know, play another donut County. I just like how this feels. Like you said, Jack, I don't think I could get a thousand hours out of this idea, but I would play another game like this or just more levels. Um, I just, yeah. Or expanding to the outer city limits, you know, just more tiny kind of nitpick. Uh, There's a boss fight near the end of the game. And I just don't find that boss fight to be fun. That's the one point where you're trying to capture the bombs in the hole and then Mm -hmm. launch them up. And the way those bombs never bounce into my hole is just (laughs) really upsetting to me. I just, I don't like that boss fight, but I always finish it with like one little sliver of health. Like I don't fail it, but I get hit so many times and Mm -hmm. then I finally figure out the right placement. But Mm -hmm. overall, Donut County, I think is a breeze to play. It's an easy recommendation I can make to people who haven't played lots of indie games. Um, It's short and sweet. It has a narrative structure that feels unique. I want another one. And the score I landed on this time was a nine out of ten. Wow, Hackers, dude! Nice. I really like this game. I have played it several times, and I never tire of it. I just, I just really love it. And I think it's fascinating to think about as just a surface level fun experience, and then also as a game that kind of tells us something about our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of people have done analysis on this game, and they think it's a game partly about gentrification. Um, oh, and I was, you know, I, I was noticing that. You know, these people are losing their homes. They're becoming displaced. Uh, there's this company that appears to be doing a service for people, appears yep. to be helping people, giving them something they want. But in return, they get something they don't want, which is losing their homes. And it's a very dramatic representation of that. Um, but there's a quote in the game where the trash king, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, but he's talking about their business and how they eventually had to open bigger and bigger holes to collect less and less trash. Mm. Um, And so it's like this snowball effect where there's less and less he can get because there's only so much of it in the world. Mm. And so I was just curious, like for either of you, were you reminded of the real world in any way? Yeah. I mean, just in general, like I am consistently critical of 
large capitalist companies mm-hmm. uh and especially if if they're like finding ways for you to work for them without I guess BK is technically employed but he's also like doing work that is outside of the scope of his employment in a yeah. way. Mm-hmm. He's being incentivized yeah. to to like do a certain kind of job. It's yeah. like it's like when uh businesses that make more money than you know 10 generations of my family will ever see uh and they're like, "Hey, do you want to make a donation to a nonprofit on our behalf?" It's like Yes, I do want to make a donation to a nonprofit. I don't want you to write off your taxes with right. this donation that I am making. <laughs> so it's 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 the same sort of like critical part of my brain mm-hmm. um, that I'm applying to Trash King's company here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the part where it really stood out to me this kind of analogy between this fun whole game and and gentrification and capitalism is kind of near the near the end when he's approaching the boss uh trash king and he presents his concerns and how it's destroying people's lives and trash king's response is like oh well you know you've been the best hole maker of all year so you know you deserve a raise and mm-hmm. how does regional manager sound and <laughs> it's kind of this moment where it's like okay now we bk's at a crossroads here where he could climb the corporate ladder or he could do what's right um, and that was a moment where I was like, oh, this really is like a a commentary on capitalism and gentrification. And especially when they showed like the sparkly new raccoon neighborhoods that were popping right. up. And yeah. It was like, oh, this is this is about something deeper for sure. So Definitely. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. It's something that I don't know if I can comment on with like a ton of depth, but I do know it's sort of a focus of analysis for a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I I think there's an observation there that it is happening. And I admire that about the game, that it's showing us this idea that is hard to observe sometimes because it can happen so slowly over time Mm -hmm. to to neighborhoods and cities. Um, But when it's communicated this sort of bluntly, I think it really drives home the point that it's, you know, it's, it's a problem. And because this is um, an alternate version of Los Angeles. It's also kind of a story about that city too. Mm. And so I thought that was interesting that Ben Esposito moved to Los Angeles and kind of observed a lot of this thing happening and then made this experience as a reaction to that. So I just thought that was, that was fascinating. And it's something I haven't run into in a ton of indie games. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned like moments of humor, like just that this game is funny. It's goofy. There are moments of humor that specifically reminded me of the way Disco Cola speaks, actually. (laughs) Um, So like um, one thing I've noticed is, and I think you do this because of your kids, but you'll replace words in sentences with like goofy versions of words, right? Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Like Uh, how you do that? So um, it's the way that I really like put a rule set around it is we reviewed this game called Bug Snacks way back in season one. Okay. Um, and everybody in that game just has an absolutely ridiculous name. Uh, so I started replacing swear words with names of characters from Bug Snacks. So I'll say, you know, <laughs> ah, Florpus. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Florp this, you know, or uh, just in general like that. And I, I continue to do that. And I started saying heck. A lot Heck more. a lot, yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's like a moment in Donut County where someone says something is honking unbelievable. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, 
another <laughs> instead of all avenge you, all revenge you. <laughs> I just like that's the. <laughs> I miss the, that. <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of phrasing that I feel like would give you a tickle, Disco yeah, Cola. Yeah. Um, and then there's like one f- quote I wrote down was, "Donut holes don't have holes; they are the holes." It's just, <laughs> it's just so, so goofy. So, um, do either of you have moments you think back to as just like tickling you? Oh yeah. Um, they introduced dogs at one point you're in someone's backyard and there's a dog, like a family dog in the backyard. And it's just, the graphics were so hilarious. It was just like this. It almost looked like a balloon animal. Oh yeah. It's just like (laughs) bouncing around on the grass. And I just, that's so funny to me. Like (laughs) they didn't have them stationary. They didn't have it running around like a dog might. It's just literally like bouncing around, like on its side, on its head. It's just totally rigid, but it's like, you get the picture. It's a dog. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was tickled by that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, I love a lot of it comes down to dialogue and yeah, the physics in this game are hilarious, I think. And just like Coco, he's just like sleeping on the lawn chair and you swallow him up and he doesn't even wake up, you know, (laughs) or like the raccoons will just like watch the hole move around them and then they're just like on their tablets but then you swallow them up and they they actually have an animation where they just like curl up you know and then yeah. you know wow um i just i it's think that's funny yeah. yeah um and there's the the guy that runs the fireworks stand and uh there's a point at the end of the game where he's like hey bk It'd be a shame, you know, if someone talked to the authorities about my oh, fireworks yeah. stand. Oh, yeah. And then they just like use dialogue and sound effects and zooms on this guy to just like really drive the point home. And it's really hilarious. Yeah, and nice. I just, I love that whole end sequence um, for the most part. Yeah. Same. Yeah. There was another really funny uh, dialogue from that end sequence um, when um, I, I don't remember who said this. So maybe you can help me think, but someone gets introduced to a frog. Oh yeah, and yeah, the beekeeper or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And there's just really there's this charming use of like silence and like non-response in this conversation as they're about to get sent back up to the real world. They're like they're standing on the platform and they're like, uh, "Thanks, thanks for introducing me to this frog. It's it's a cool frog." And then BK and Mira just like stand there, and then <laughs> and then a second later it's like it all worked out in the end. And then, and then BK and Mira again say nothing, and then the other person's like. Okay, you can send me up now. <laughs> it's like, what? It's so funny. That particular section, you're seeing everybody get launched back up, uh-huh. and they're having a short little interaction with every single resident yeah. that you've that you've seen the story of up to this point, and they all feel different. And I thought that was really impressive mm-hmm. that we could have like a fun little moment that's just like ten seconds long for each person, and that that felt like a good amount of closure at the end. It did. Yeah, it was a really nice way to wrap up all the characters you had met so far. Mm-hmm. One moment I did a double take at was when you're swallowing uh, bunnies or rabbits and they go into the hole and then a bunch of like love heart icons pop up because they're mating and then tons of bunnies <laughs> yeah, and rabbits yep. pop out. <laughs> Such a great idea. And as they're popping out, I think the hole is shrinking because it's things are leaving yeah. the hole, you know, so it's inverting the rule of how the, the hole works. So just, just genius. And, that, yeah. 
And I was going to say, like, they're not, they're not even just like, you know, popping out. They're like getting launched. Yeah. Out. <laughs> like a machine gun. Yeah. It's just like, uh, rapid fire. Rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Thanks. Then there's like tons of fun ways we use holes, all the different mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, one really tiny moment that I noticed this time, I never noticed before. I think it's when we go into that backyard. It could be a different moment, but it's when we're opening a gate. To someone's yard hmm. and you just move the hole under the gate uh sort of lock and it just falls down and then the gate's unlocked oh, you know wow. just like that's how we unlock the gate we just move the hole under the part of the gate that unlocks the gate huh i was curious like little moments with the hole that you thought were clever or just general big mechanics with the hole that that you find really fun in this game i think um using the hole on something that can't get swallowed but requires extra gravity mm. to activate. There are a couple levels like the barn I'm levers of, yeah. yeah that have like a, a weighted something or other at the end of it tied to it. And so you have to put the hole under it um and it's not getting swallowed up, but it is like pulling this lever because there's this weighted item attached to it. Yes. So um, I think that's an interesting way to just like drive home the idea of the absence of ground. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's something I wouldn't have expected in this game. I would just think, oh, we're just swallowing things. They're gone forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't happen there. Cool. I loved, um, so at a certain point you get a catapult and you can launch things back out of the hole, depending on how big you are is how big the thing you're launching out is. And I loved when you swallow the frog and I loved a couple things about the mechanics behind this. I loved there are like bees way up above, and you're supposed to catch, you're supposed to swallow the bees, but you can't do it because they're too high in the air. But you can launch the frog, and then the frog will zip its tongue and latch onto the bee and then fall back down. And I just thought that was every time that happened, I was so satisfied. Um, but then also, I loved the fact that the frog got bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're just eventually you're launching this huge, like impossibly large frog up into the air. <laughs> yeah. And that just was so fun for me to experience. And eventually you need to use that frog in like the headquarters. You have to make the frog fat because you need the frog to latch onto a thing to unlock it or to make something drop down. And the frog just doesn't weigh enough. I think it's a frog at that point. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you're launching it up to swallow everything to get bigger. And now it actually weighs enough that you can then unlock that thing. So just a, a cool, like, the order of what you swallow here matters mm-hmm. and the order of, like, what you launch matters. Um, I definitely loved the idea of playing with, um, like, swallowing a campfire and then we create, like, an upward gust. Mm-hmm. And then we're we're blowing things upward, the hot air balloon stuff, which also plays into the story of the one kid going up in the hot air balloon and, like, being lost. And they're like, where's there's we're down here and this poor child is like up in the (laughs) sky somewhere. What's going to happen. So, uh, it just like, it was a cool mechanic that led to a a tiny story moment too. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really have anything else. Did either of you have any observations? Did, Did you guys get stuck at any point? I got stuck at one point. Oh, what was that? Um, well, I, I want to ask you guys first. Was there any was there any puzzle that you guys were like, "What is going on here?" I I do recall having some difficulty with this. I believe it was the snake level in the first my first playthrough. There was a level where you have to swallow up snakes, um, and just like set off this alarm, mm-hmm. um, sort of in the in a desert setting. 
And I also kind of remember like not immediately being able to figure out how to work with the firework oh. uh, and and hitting yeah. that cliff, cliff oh, side. Yeah. yeah. For me, I got stuck when you fill your hole with water and you have to fill it with the two ingredients. Oh, the salt and pepper. The salt and pepper. Yeah. And it either gets, you know, there's the bird that can drink it or there's like the cockroaches, cockroaches that can get in there. And I just didn't understand right away what was needed there. Mm. Yeah. That's one that comes to mind. I'm sure there are other places I got stuck at. Yeah. The the sticking point for me was with the goats um, or no, the, were they goats or bunnies at this point? Yeah. Maybe they're bunnies. Well, there's, there's bunnies, but I think there were other things. Things. You, yeah, those were bunnies, I think. The whole, yeah, the whole like swallows a carrot. And so your yeah. hole is plugged with a carrot. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then you have to bait, you have to like you have lead to, yes. the rabbit around. Yes. That stuck me because there's this rabbit is, one rabbit jumps off a cliff and eats half of your carrot. And so you know that that's what you need to do. And there's one bunny that's still left on the ground, but it's enclosed in this pin. And your hole can't get into the pen. And it took me a long time yeah. to figure out. You go up to the pen and you're like, can the bunny eat it through the pen? No, it can't. No, it can't. You have to circle around. Yes. And it up the ramp. I, yeah, I think I remember like one of the first times I played, I thought the game was glitched or something, but it's just because I didn't figure out the puzzle. Yeah. yeah. So very slick job, the team that made Donut County. That was so <laughs> awesome. For sure. Uh, I, I guess I only have one question. Do you remember your favorite level? I remember my favorite music. Okay. Um, okay. And that was, it was a red level. I think there was a fox or, or was it the coyote? The coyote in the, in the tent. Yeah. Was that kind of a red tinged? Like, Probably. Yeah. Like you're in rock, desert. Yeah. I think that was the Joshua tree level, wasn't it? Uh, it might've been. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I remember that really stuck out as, as probably, as probably my favorite. Although, I was very tickled. I don't remember who the characters were. They they might have been the couple, but you zoom in and they're at the top of their like treehouse, uh-huh. yeah. and they're sitting on a couch like next to each other, and it just struck me as like this combination of so like pleasing to see and the music was great, but then you also know that you're gonna swallow them at the end. <laughs> I know it's morbid. It's kind of morbid, and so that stuck out to me as like wow, they this this game is is really something else. So that yeah. those two might have been my favorite. Nice. Cool. I, I had a feeling you might ask this question this time, so I did. <laughs> you were ready. I, yeah, I was like thinking about that the whole time I played. I think my favorite is the 405 when we're on that interstate. Ooh, that is a good one. And uh, eventually you are shooting the cameras up to take pictures of oh, yeah. the raccoons, and then they're dropping down, and you're sh- you're shooting them up onto the hot air balloon to like drag it down. But you're also becoming a hole that's so big that you're at the end of the interstate or freeway, and all the cars are just, they just flowing into bloop. you. Yep. And I just love the idea of that. That's it's just, really satisfying. There's a lot of satisfying, like really quick, fun mechanics happening in a row in that uh, stage. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite, with the exception of the soup puzzle once you get outside of the restaurant is mm. is just swallowing the restaurant because there's like these there's also these like they look like bunkers next yeah. door yeah i don't know what the heck they actually are but there was something just like so satisfying about swallowing those bunker looking buildings <laughs> yeah. just like the shape, the shape of, them, of them yes something they're they're kind of circular semi-circular yeah. like your hole just i don't know what tickled it is. my yeah. brain i do like um the restaurant level, there was like, I think the main character was even, or the, the, the person of the level 
was sitting on top of a crate that was on top of this big cockroach. Oh, yes. And when your hole was yeah. small enough, <laughs> you could go underneath the crate and then only suck up the cockroach. Yes. And I loved that. That's that was, part of like the puzzling you're doing is I'm only so big, I have to find the right size thing. And yeah. I, I first look at that crate and I go, well, that cockroach is trapped in that crate. Oh, no, it's not. It, there's a space underneath it. And it just like goes even one step further because the whole like conversation before you get the flashback to the restaurant is yeah. about how the restaurant sucks because there's yeah. a bug problem. And he's yeah. like, there's not a bug problem. Sure. The first thing you can suck up is a bug. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's great. It is yeah. good. Um, I, I am just curious. This is kind of marketed as a puzzle game. It's also marketed as a narrative game, hmm. although it is a pretty like unconventional narrative. Uh, do you have a take on whether it's stronger as a puzzle game, stronger as a narrative game? How do you categorize it, I guess, in your mind? I I don't feel like there are enough super challenging puzzles in my brain for it to be a puzzle game. Okay. I I guess it's a narrative game, but like the thing that draws me in is just like the simple and accessible gameplay. Like mm-hmm. I I said the term glorified app game. That's that's a bit of a slight to to say it that way, but it takes like what is a simple app game idea and I don't I, it's just like a satisfying game. Just, I actually think there are app games that copied Donut County. Or maybe the other way around. Well, I I was doing some research, and I think there is like a very blatant ripoff oh, that wow. happened after Donut County. And okay. It's like you can kind of trace the order of events there. Interesting. So I think Donut County did get to that place where like it was recognizable enough as an indie game. Like even though it is an indie game, lots of people had played it. That's mm-hmm. why it's a featured game for this episode is mm-hmm. because it actually is a relatively like well-known game in the indie world. Hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think it was like the wrong order. You know, it was like this really nice game with a glorified app game idea. And then an app designer thought, oh, I could steal that. And that just feels, <laughs> that feels bad. That's going back to some of the capitalist ideas yeah. uh, portrayed in the game. Yeah. I felt like it was, um, I, I felt like it was stronger as a narrative game. Um, the puzzles were like Zen puzzles. It was like, I'm not getting frustrated. I'm not stuck. I'm not hemming and hawing. I'm not Googling answers online. It was more of like a, almost like raking the yard or something. Just mm. this like kind of pleasing task oriented puzzle that you know you're going to complete. There's not a lot of stakes. You're not going to have to start over it. Point zero. Um, so I, I found myself like really loving the interplay between that Zen puzzle game and then like the really quirky dialogue mm-hmm. and characters. Yeah, I'd probably call this like maybe not a narrative heavy game, but I'd call it maybe an adventure. You know, I that's yeah. adventure is sort of a cop out catch all <laughs> catch all we uh, a lot genre yeah. for <laughs> anything that isn't strictly like a puzzle game and anything that isn't strictly like a role playing game mm. we will categorize featured games in our list as like by genre and we'll use adventure as sort of like yeah i think this is where this goes because it kind of defies all other definition so well, um i guess that's a, just a testament to how different this game is mm-hmm. um is there anything left unsaid Nope, I'm looking at your GG app list, and I noticed that this is also in your top 100. Yeah, this is in my top 100 indie games list. It's and in I, your top 100 regular games And it's games in my top list. 100 regular games. In my top 100 indie games, I just moved it today uh, because it used to be at like a 8, 8.5, but I moved it up to a 9. 
and it's around spot 30 now. So wow, uh, in my top 100 indie game, it's at 30. So uh, I really like this game a lot. And uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, uh, of course. Our first guest and a very meaningful guest for Aww. Donut County. And it's just great to hear your perspective. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate being on. And I have loved hearing the music uh, that I made for, on this podcast. It just tickles me every time. And I feel like as a musician who creates things for other projects, sometimes your vision of of what the uh of what the project will be and how your music will play into it doesn't always line up, but this is a case where like, I'm just so excited to hear my music on this podcast because it just fits the vibe. And I've just working with both of you to select the music and to flush out some ideas was just so fun. So I'm really, truly honored to be a guest now. Hackers, the first one. Awesome. The first one. Yes. Go listen to funky plant time. Uh, In the meantime, that's our review of donut County. You can play it on PC Mac, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Android, and iOS. Jack rated it an 8. Disco Cola rated it an 8.5. I rated it a 9. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by this guy, Jack Rodenberg. Woo-hoo. Our art comes from Onimochi. Underplayed is on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at underplayedpod. You can find me in those places at Bopo. That's B-O underscore P-O. I'm also on the GG app where you can see my game lists and what I'm currently playing. And I am at Disco Cola in nearly all of those places, uh, including the GG app where I um, added Hypnospace Outlaw to my list of (laughs) games I want to play because of Bopo. You can also catch me streaming on Twitch. And hey, look for the Underplayed channel on Twitch as Mm. well. Uh, where we will play our co-op games and maybe just some other games that we've talked about on Underplayed or maybe just other games we want to play. Yeah, and on Twitch, that is uh, at Underplayed Podcast. Next time, we will have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be SteamWorld Dig, a Metroidvania light platforming adventure developed by Image and Form. Until then, everyone, keep on playing. (laughs) 